Uh, thank you for joining us, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen. We are here today to talk to the CEOs of some royalty companies. They're going to try and argue the case why royalty companies should be immune to market conditions. So um, I'm going to kick off um, with Brendan Urich, uh, then Dave Cole, and then Frederick Bell, um, who are going to uh, give us a romp through the world of royalties at the moment. So Brendan, why don't you kind of kick off, tell us, tell us a little bit about your company, and then I'll uh, go to the others. Sure. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, I'm Brendan Urich. I'm the CEO of Electric Royalties. Uh, we are a young royalty company focused exclusively on those clean energy metals uh, required for the transition to clean energy. Uh, we've got a portfolio of 19 royalties, really targeting uh, those deposits in North America, Australia, and Europe. Uh, that could be a domestic source of supply of these metals moving forward. Uh, we've got cash flow, 19 royalties, uh, you know, a lot of catalysts coming this year. Uh, and, uh, you know, stay tuned. It's going to be an exciting year. Mr. Cole, what about you? Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Dave Cole, founder CEO, EMX Royalty Corporation, ticker symbol EMX on the New York Stock Exchange. And we love royalties. Uh, and we accumulate royalties through the royalty generation process, which is prospect generation focused on the royalty component. Happy to talk about that, as I always do. We also buy royalties and royalty portfolios. And... Uh, um, very pleased to see significant development of the portfolio over the course of the last few years and some great events uh, that are forthcoming in the near, <clears throat> very near future, Matt. Fred. Again, thank you to thank you for having us here, Matt. Um, I'm Frederick Bell, the CEO of Elemental Royalties. We just announced very recently a merger with Alta Strategies, a merger of equals to create a combined company that has 11 producing royalties um, diversified across 13 jurisdictions uh, 75% weighting towards gold still, um, but it really gives us critical mass scale um, to go forwards. And I think this year, um, clearly that, that will be a, a really um, foundational moment for the company and due to close in Q3. Fantastic. Okay, gentlemen, let's answer that question, which, which is, each of you have told me at different times that you guys outperform equities over the long run. Uh, doesn't look like it in this market. Brandon, what's happening? Yeah, well, uh, we should be. Um, you know, that's the crazy thing, right? Uh, royalty companies are perfectly placed for this type of environment. You know, we are protected against operating cost inflation because our operating costs are zero. You know, once we've paid our upfront uh, capital, we have a right to that cash flow. It costs us nothing uh, on a unit basis moving forward. You know, we're immune from capital cost inflation uh, because we don't have to contribute any of that cost. Uh, you know, if I look at our own portfolio, uh, we've probably had about $400 million uh, or more put in by third parties at no cost to us uh, over the last you know, year and a half. And so, you know, we're perfectly situated like that. I think the perfect, uh, the key piece is really about pricing and our expected revenues, right? Um, you know, for our case, we look at lithium. Lithium prices were up 500% last year. Uh, that means our expected revenues are uh, directly proportional to that increase. So we'd expect our expected revenues to go up by 500% across our lithium portfolio. Um, you know, so that's pretty good head against inflation. Uh, I'd say that it's, you know, probably down a little bit better than gold, uh, but, um, you know, I don't want to uh, pick apart that uh, in this in this discussion, but we, we should be. Uh, what you're seeing though is we're all beat up. I think there's a real problem with, uh, you know, the actual accuracy of, of investors to be able to, you know, earmark what valuations are in this space. Um, you know, part of that being that we have so many assets, it's much more difficult for, uh, investors to go through and individually bet those, um, but diversification shouldn't be uh, a negative. David, I mean, so what, what do you what do you think is happening? You, you've been 19 years at EMX, which company you founded. 
Uh, you've maybe seen a couple, a couple of cycles in that time. Is this any different uh, to the others? Well, each one's a little bit different, uh, but we're in a highly cyclical uh, uh, sector, of course. Um, but let's talk about the history here a little bit. Um, if you go back and look at the valuation of royalty equities as compared to producers and explorcos over the course of the last decade, and particularly since the point of last market capitulation in January of 16, the royalty equities have done very well. Uh, the senior royalty companies and the junior royalty companies. And there was a phase there where the junior royalty companies were quite in vogue. A lot of people were looking for the next Franco Nevada as an example. And the, and the junior royalty companies behaved very uh, um, favorably, had strong alpha performance. And then we have seen, in my view, a very healthy correction um, and consolidation of share price over the course of the last now almost two years. And you know, I believe Brendan's correct that that's creating a buying opportunity for astute investors to come in and look at. But let's be honest, uh, there's been a lot of bloviation within the space. And investors are saying, wait a minute, you know, not, not everything that we've been told has come to fruition. And uh, so that's 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 correct that, that there's been a pause. Um, and I think in the next leg, as we move forward, real assets will perform nicely. And what about you, Fred? You've just uh, um, announced the Altus deal, which I think, you know, normally the market would have welcomed. It brings together two, you know, good companies. Um, but the reaction to your stock price would suggest that maybe they just don't care. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I think it's actually, um, it's for, I think building on the theme to some extent that Brendan and, and David were talking about, um, we, we listed the company, took it public in the middle of 2020. I think um, we started trading on the 30th of July. And I think the, the sort of high in the market was um, one day um, sort of on either side of that. So um, we really came in as the market in 20, mid 2020 was at its peak. And we've seen it not just come off since, but we've seen the second point that Dave mentioned is which we've seen a, uh, you know, if not a flurry of new royalty companies, certainly a whole, I, I think, sort of um, treadmill of new royalty companies coming on. And, and that combination of the markets weakening with more companies in there, um, and also in buoyant equity markets, you know, typically not as many royalty deals get done, or if they do, they don't tend to be as good um, because the environment isn't as good. So I think um, for us, uh, it's been it's been quite a um, you know almost two years now, um, quite a interesting period to go through. And at the end of 2021, we had a, a hostile takeover bid launched against us. Um, that didn't succeed; it fell away. Um, subsequent to it falling away, we then announced a merger um, just recently at PDAC with Alta Strategies. And really, the, the, I think one of the or one of the main aspects that we saw that was appealing, um, or we thought did make sense through the hostile discussions a bit, was consolidation. Um, and and that partly drove, um, I think, probably speeded up conversations we were we were having elsewhere. Um, and um, you know uh, the the merger we announced with Altus. It is it's two. It's really a merger of equals. It brings in two companies. You know both have some really good quality producing assets in them to give a really strong foundation. But it just means that it is a it is a company that is more. It has an enhanced capital markets profile and it is more relevant for investors. Um, it's easier for investors to invest in it. it should have greater liquidity. Um, it's got a bigger, more diversified portfolio. It's got a bigger team with more experience across it, and it's got an even bigger shareholder base. So, you know, I think that fits into the theme of what has been discussed over the last year in the royalty space and, and what we just started talking about um, in the last five minutes. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny because we actually also went public around the same time that Fred did. And now our share price has just dropped, you know, below where we went public at, you know, despite us, you know, we're up to 19 royalties now. I think yesterday we were actually trading with an enterprise value of about 5 million, uh, you know, across 18 royalties. So, you know, it can be frustrating, uh, you know, as we've been growing, keep adding assets. I know uh, Fred's had a couple transformational deals over the last couple of years. And each time the market uh, should be rewarding these things and people are, are getting hit. And I think it's just a lot of that is to do with timing, um, you know, and, and people uh, you know getting kind of spooked in this market. But um, there's a lot of value being built and uh, created in these companies that's uh, being overlooked at this moment. So what do you do about it, guys? Because you know, each of you is telling that story, but each of you got a similar um, share chart. You know, it, 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 it's heading down. It's risk off. It's absolutely risk off. But you guys have got long-term time horizons to your business plans, business strategies, right? So do you need to behave differently or do you just think, look, it's just a moment. This is, you know, we've got counter-cyclical strategies or we'll sell something, we'll, we'll take advantage and buy something. I mean, how do you come at it, Dave? What's going to make a difference? The, the bad capital markets, or or you know, capital markets that that you know we tend to bemoan, um, are the norm within the natural resource sector. We're more commonly in those markets than we are in robust markets, and we have to think countercyclically. We have to be prepared to uh, weather those uh, timeframes. Uh, um, this is a time when EMX, as a royalty generator, will be staking lots of claims and acquiring exploration licenses to drive our royalty generation profile forward because that's the most astute allocation of capital. And, you know, if and when possible, looking for royalty acquisitions, it makes sense. But as the gentlemen have pointed out, um, you know, purchasing royalties is a tough business because people know what phenomenal financial instruments they are. But do, but do they? Surely if they knew that, they'd be rewarding you. They're not rewarding you. So, that, so you're making a key point. So I'm discussing the actual marketing processes, which uh, sale and uh, sell an individual royalty to Thus, uh, you know, those of us on this call, as well as others, as opposed to the valuation of the companies, right? So what we've seen is that the valuation of royalties being sold remains strong because everybody wants to own more royalties. And we all know that the more royalties we own in our portfolio because of the portfolio effect, the more the whole portfolio is worth, which is um, why Frederick's merger, I believe, makes great sense. Uh, they, they can become larger. They've got a larger portfolio. They should have an uptick and a repricing uh, associated with that after we get back to a more normalized market. Uh, and I applaud that merger. But coming back to the point, uh, the uh, uh, um, uh, individual royalty sales remain robust with respect to their valuation because people want to own royalties. They know that they are excellent inflation hedges and we're in an inflationary environment. They know that they have phenomenal optionality that are embedded in those instruments. And so everybody wants to own them. It's been that way for a long time. And, uh, but, you know, the companies that have been going forth and building uh, these portfolios are, are seeing a uh, consolidation. I, th I personally, I think it's healthy. We'll all come out of it better at the end of the day. And Frederick's uh, example of a merger of equals is one example of a betterment probably within that portfolio and to mention that again. Uh, but uh, there'll be others within that. When we look at it <clears throat> ourselves, and we, and because of course, you know, been a plethora of offers for us to merger be acquired by different companies. And, and we do a comparative analysis and we say, hey, the most astute allocation of capital for us, um, and of course, issuing shares would be is, is issuance of capital. The, um, the, the most astute allocation is to push our generative business at this point in time. Okay. And, and I'll just say that like, look, we all have very low GNA. Uh, that's the nice thing about royalty companies. 
you know, we we just announced a sale of a partial royalty. We're gonna have about eight million cash pro forma. You know, that could get us through till you know 2028. Uh, you know, if we need it to, probably even longer, because uh, we're gonna be cash flow positive in a couple of years. So, you know, honestly, if we just waited and did nothing, um, you know, our portfolio is gonna grow and and create a lot of wealth on its own. So, you know, we don't we don't have to do much. Uh, you know, it doesn't cost us much to run these companies. So, um, it, it's it's a nice place to be. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think. In this market where uh, companies are having trouble raising equity at decent valuations, that's exactly where a royalty makes a lot of sense. So uh, for me, I look at the opportunity as creating new royalties, you know, not create, uh, acquiring existing royalties out there, but identifying those deposits you want to be a part of, going, offering them capital uh, in this market. That's, that's for me is the way to go, you know, um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity right now and there's going to be more over the next kind of three, six months. Do you agree with that, Fred? Because you, you've made a big move without Altus, right? That that's that's a big move, and you didn't get rewarded for it. So, what's, what's your what's your message to whether it be your shareholders or people people looking at you? It's like remain calm. We're building the fundamentals um, of of the story here, and you will be rewarded at some future date. I mean, or, or do you just think actually I got to adjust my strategy somewhat, and I'm going to have to do something which may get a better reaction. Well, it's um, it, you made an interesting comment earlier, um, uh, Matt, in, in when you said you know you're, you're sort of in this position where the equity markets are weak um, and everyone's share prices are off. And how do you think about it? Well, we think about it, and you know, we have been in the sense that we have been waiting for this moment um, and couldn't be more excited for it. Um, again, we listed when the markets were at their peak and deals that we had been looking at, instead of looking at them at $1,600 gold, people were wanting $2,000 gold. Um, people who had been looking at a royalty versus equity were then looking at a record share price and saying, we'll go and raise equity. And so actually, a lot of opportunities that we'd looked at and seen um, either didn't make sense or, or for one or the other party, or um, it, was a, it was not at a price that we sort of we could get comfortable with. And so actually the whole in, in Elemental's case, and I think there's similarities with, with, um, with both um, Brendan and David, but in Elemental's case, what we really focused on at the beginning was diversified revenue. And the merger with Altus gives that. I mean, we're getting up to just under $20 million um, adjusted revenue for this year. Um, and what that does is it gives us an ability to deploy capital um, in the bad markets when we don't necessarily want to issue new equity or we want to limit the amount of equity we can issue. And the whole thesis behind Elemental was we started this company privately in 2017 on a shoestring budget um, with producing royalties from day one. So we were cash flow positive and we could be masters of our own destiny and avoid getting diluted massively in the bad years. And so, you know, since we've listed, I'd say it's been the best years since we started Elemental. And so now, coming into a market that is weakening and coming into a market where share prices are off where they were in 2020, that gives us a great opportunity to not just do new deals, but to revisit some of the deals we already had there. And so I, I can't wait to get this merger without us closed and for us to be able to go out um, and target some of those opportunities, which um, in some cases we've, we've known about for a while and, and sort of I think waiting for the right market environment and opportunity to be able to execute on. 
And, and you, so that you can take advantage of the fact that some people may be a little bit more cash con, constrained and more likely to, to do business. And obviously, that new, that new revenue profile of yours will help. So does that, does that mean the days of using equity are over in, in the near to short term? Uh, it's always a balancing act. I think um, a, a few of the royalties we've bought part of the attraction for the vendor was actually becoming a shareholder and and being um, benefiting from that. And so a few of our transactions um, on the Wang Yon royalty and on, on the South 32 portfolio, um, both of those royalty owners became significant shareholders in Elemental and remain significant shareholders in Elemental, um, as well as taking some cash. So I think it can be a, um, a mixed um, approach, but I certainly think that you know it is helpful to be as cash flow positive in a, in a difficult environment um, as, as possible. Right. And, and Brandon, you, you've obviously, um, I, th- I think you, you did the Seymour Lake uh, royalty deal recently. Was that a kind of, kind of a defense mechanism or was it literally taking advantage of high lithium prices and saying, actually, let's get cashed up? Um, yeah, well, you know, it was Where'd just about a valuation thing. You know, we have right. 19 royalties. Uh, we have a producing royalty that's uh, spinning out about $500,000 this year. Uh, we've got a lot of different royalties. We've got Battery Hill. They just put out a PEA, showcased the 47-year mine life. Uh, you know, they're going to have average U.S. 177 million revenue per year. And we're going to have 2% of that, you know, gross off the top. You know, so we've got a very good portfolio, but we were trading, uh, you know, yesterday with an enterprise value of about $5 million uh, spread across that, you know, across 18 royalties that we have. So for us, it was about kind of proving to the market that there's some value to these royalties. You know, we picked that up last year uh, for about a million in shares. We've sold it now. Uh, part of that, so we still maintain exposure, uh, but at a $6 million valuation. Um, and so, you know, that combined with our cash, you know, it was just really, we're not getting value for it in the market. You know, we thought the cash today, we can go deploy that into some near term deals. But, um, you know, that asset is a perfect example of the growth and value before cash flow. You know, we picked that up when it was an earlier stage project. You know, they've had now about 55 or so million dollars come into it over the last kind of nine months. Um, and so as they're developing, that value goes up, um, you know, along with metal prices as well. Uh, so you've seen lithium prices jump 500%. That's where you get that kind of bump in value. We just felt if the market's not going to give us that today, we're going to, you know, monetize part of that. Hopefully, they give us some of that credit for cash. Right, but but given what everyone seems to be saying to me, which is now's the time to take advantage of a market like this if you've got the cash. Um, are you planning more sales, or you know, can you do? acquisitions in this market? I mean, what's your, what's your position? Brandon? Yeah, well, we just did a, a, announced the copper royalty deal. It's a new royalty that we're creating. Um, you know, we picked that asset out of uh, many assets that we've looked at. Um, and there's lots of deals like that. I think there's tons of opportunities. Uh, you know, historically, we've used shares as a, a major part of our acquisition cost. Uh, we're definitely going to be shifting away from that, you know, given our current valuation. But, you know, to Fred's point, I think it's more about uh, you kind of play it by ear. You know, you have options. We have tools to use. Um, and it just really matters, you know, where you are in the moment. Uh, right now in our moment, our, our share price is so low. Our cash is definitely going to be a better tool for us uh, to use to grow, you know, potentially co-investment as well. But, um, you know, we wouldn't be looking to use shares as our acquisition payment now. Um, although there are certain vendors, certain deals you couldn't get done uh, without that, you know, where the, you know, to Fred's point, these guys are coming in because they want to have that exposure, ongoing exposure to that uh, uh, royalty moving forward. Right. And, and Dave, you, you sound cool, calm, collected, a bit Warren Buffett-like in the sense that you see this market as a great opportunity for buying um, you know, additional royalties. But how do investors look at this? Is this a good opportunity to be buying 
companies with strong fundamentals? I mean, what's your pitch to shareholders? This is a common discussion point, and it focuses on the difference of the um, common investors' outlook, which is what will happen by the next long weekend versus what's happening in the overall global mining sector. The uh, We anticipate that copper consumption on planet Earth over the forthcoming 20 to 25 years will equate to the cumulative amount of copper that's been produced and consumed on the planet throughout all of human history. So the long-term backdrop here is robustly bullish. And I want to point out that you know your panel today is largely diversified. That's a new phenomenon. It used to be that most royalty companies were solely precious metals focused and they had a little bit of base metals within their portfolio. They didn't talk about it. Nowadays, people are, are happy to discuss their base metal exposure and battery metal exposure uh, as evidenced by the gentleman on the call today. And uh, that's that's you know an interesting new paradigm within the mineral space. And it shows the dynamics of the demand across the planet for elements across the periodic table. And we love precious metals, we love base metals, we love battery metals, and the outlook for the consumption of all these is robust. But that's looking forward on a half decade to multi-decade timeline. Um, the downturn that we're in right now is, is you know, something that's occurred over the course of, of a handful of months or, or a year and a half or so. Uh, and uh, there's a disconnect between, between that thinking. And as Rick Rule says, utilize the cycles in the business to your advantage rather than be utilized by the cycles. And this is a great example. You know, it's funny because uh, I love I love copper right now. You know, copper for me is definitely going to be one of those key metals. When you look at uh, the battery metals, clean energy metal space basically didn't exist five years ago. You know, and if you look at the forecast and the projections, we're supposed to be basically cannibalizing the oil and gas sector, which is, you know, traditionally about five times uh, the traditional mining sector. So there's a lot of growth uh, to be happening. But copper is very interesting. You know, we look at the zinc market. Everybody's been talking about zinc prices. Uh, you know, they've been hit you know, significantly over the last couple of months. Uh, I saw an article this last week that zinc stocks have gotten down to a few hours global consumption. Um, you know, so that's not even looking that far ahead. Uh, but copper, you know, we've been scouring the planet for every uh, good copper deposit we can find. Um, you know, we're making way less discoveries. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's compound growth, right? To Dave's point, the reason why we're using so much more copper, um, where you get those kind of crazy statistics is it's compound growth. So you're growing on top of the growth you had the year previously. And so when you're already at 4 million tons, next year will be 4.4, you know, then it's uh, going to be uh, 4.88, uh, you know, so there's a, it's an incredible growth profile as we move forward. Um, I think it's a really a, a new space, honestly. I think it's going to be a, a new paradigm for the mining sector as we move forward. Well, yeah, I think Goldman Sachs would agree with you. Um, copper is the new oil. Um, Fred, if, if, I, if I come back um, to you if, you, if you don't mind, with, with regards to what um, Dave said, you talk, you talk about I'm having a diversified portfolio. I know you're kind of heavily skewed towards the precious metals, but you, you are nevertheless diverse, diversified. Um, do you think that's enough? What, what, what else? What else do you need to be able to talk about to you know claim to be a company with strong fundamentals, i.e. Companies, a company that people should be looking at in times like this? I, I think um, I think we talked a lot in last year, 2021, as an, as Elemental specifically. We talked a lot about um, our largest royalty at the time coming on stream at the end of 2021, going into 2022. And I think what we always said at the time was we had reached that inflection point where you know, our margins were going to increase dramatically as we got more revenue. And I think people will want to People will want to see that. Um, 
know, and they will say Elemental, you've had a few years building the company from scratch. You have, I think, got an 80% compound growth rate on the revenue since you've started. And now we want to see that translating into more revenue, um, more free cash flow. Um, so that's point number one. And the second point, I think, um, which you won't see in the financials, but it is, uh, I think it's, it's crucial for, uh, sort of investors looking at it over the medium term and looking at value is two of our, well, the two biggest royalties Elemental had prior to this deal, um, were both very new mines. And both of those are undertaking exploration. And we have said previously that we think there's going to be a lot of exploration upside coming at those assets. And so I think what we'll want to be showing investors, and we, we rely on the operator putting out the results and updating the market themselves. But what we'll want to be showing investors is, is look, these are not assets that had a 10-year mine life and will then stop mining. These are assets that had a 10-year mine life, and we hope in 10 years we'll have another 10-year mine life. And, and so if we can start to demonstrate that resource replacement at no cost to us, that optionality and upside on the exploration um, alongside improving margins, that I think is what investors really want to see because what it shows is you have made good acquisitions and over time, the returns of those acquisitions, and this I think this is generally on the royalty space on good acquisitions, the returns get better and it looks better over time because over time you never invest any more money in those assets and, and you get all that optionality and upside. Right, you can, and we do a lot of near-term yeah. development uh, opportunities, and you know these are really capital cost decisions about how much exploration do you do, you know, when you're building a mine. And so, a lot of the time, we know that there's going to be a large, a much larger resource, but they've got enough, you know, to make a go of it. So they build the plant, they get going. Um, but you know, sometimes we're expecting, you know, two to three times growth. Uh, and so, you know, these mines may have an initial ten-year mine life. Uh, but you ask, why do people like royalties? You know, royalty can be up to you know 30, 40 years. It's just an income stream. You know, it costs you nothing moving forward and you don't have to do anything to manage it. It's just cash flow incoming. And so, um, you know, to, to Fred's point, that, that continuation of that, too, is uh, it's just kind of gravy on top. And Dave, there's an example, if you like to review this. Yeah. Oh, oh, thank you, Matt. The um, What the gentlemen are talking about is very real. It's a concept of uh, multiplicative optionality. When you own royalties, you're exposed to commodity price optionality, which we all love, um, of course, over the long haul. Uh, although there can be periods of time when it goes the opposite direction, uh, you know, options move in both ways, but there's also discovery optionality, metallurgical advancement optionality. And a great example is the royalty that made Franco Nevada, um, the largest and most premier royalty company out there in the world today. And that was a royalty they bought out of the Reno Gazette Journal paper. Uh, this was a royalty advertised in the local paper. They bought it for a little over a million dollars. It's now paid right at a billion dollars and is a great example of multiplicative optionality. And because lots of discoveries were made, new metallurgical techniques were invented, new engineering techniques enabled them to go underground, et cetera, et cetera, all to the advantage of the royalty holder. Now, every royalty is not going to go from a million to a billion, but it is illustrative of this concept of embedded optionality within a royalty portfolio. Right. Okay. Well, the question I do want to ask you about, Dave, because um, whether, whether you're doing prospect generation, whether you're doing royalty origination, whether you're buying third party um, or whether you're investing in other companies' equities, all of which you do, um, you've, you've got to have a, a view on um, jurisdiction, right? A lot of conversations going on at the moment, but most companies come on here and go, hey, we're operating on a tier one jurisdiction, tier one. I'm not even sure what that means anymore. Because there's so many roadblocks in every jurisdiction that I can see. What does it mean to you, Dave? Well, there's a saying, rocks don't change, governments do. 
And, uh, you know, that this is one of the beautiful aspects of having a diversified portfolio globally is you, you can, you know, spread that risk across. Uh, there are some phenomenal places to work, I think, are very stable, such as Sweden, but even Sweden has issues. Uh, and there, there was a discussion previously about the lack of discovery in the copper space. It's, it's fascinating. One of the biggest holds up, hold ups with respect to new copper production is actually obtaining social license and permitting and governmental approval of the development of these large mines. And of course, it's quite ironic that the very people that are that are lobbying against global warming and want to electrify um, are the same people that are standing in the way of, of new mineral development. So there's a bit of irony in that, but, but there's a lot of what we call political ore out there and that are large deposits that are awaiting development. And this is the Achilles heel of the mining industry in general and will provide, unfortunately, greater price elasticity uh, because of holdup of, of new development and also delays capital expenditure within the sector. So these are very dynamic aspects. I personally, I think the way to handle that is you just wanna be exposed to great geological trains um, and great deposits. And you know we don't uh, bear the direct brunt of the risk associated with that portfolio. Of course, long-term we do, because if the project is not developed, then we don't get the cash flow. Do you agree with that, Fred? I mean, do, do, are you worried about the kind of construct of your new portfolio? Um, do, is that a big part of the discussion? You know, and you know, or do you think we think long term? You know, as Dave says, you know, rocks don't change, governments do. It'll work itself out. Well, I think one of the benefits of this um, this transaction was it diversified us um, across even more countries, even more jurisdictions, um, and I think it's. Uh, I think it's sort of sometimes it's too simplistic to say this country is a is a tier one jurisdiction and, and this country is a you break it down by regions um you break it down by commodity I think there are some regions and some countries where it's much easier to build a uranium mine um, than it might be in in some of the tier one jurisdictions so it, it really is um, I think you need to sort of get into a, a pretty specific conversation um, <laughs> suffice to say that what that means for us is that choosing jurisdictions where there is proven mining industry um, and history of mining um, and we diversify ourselves and that puts us in a the best possible position um, you can never predict the future um, but it puts you in the best possible prediction and coming on to your point on optionality which was one um, I really wanted to touch on um, just when when it was being talked about earlier because I think investors often get very focused on the next year um, naturally um, we do I, I do sometimes I find myself doing it but it's if, if we look across it at a longer term history um, and on a long term basis, I mean, I'll use one of our royalties as an example. Um, the royalty we have at Endeavours Wang Yong, um, it started life as, as roughly a two million ounce um, uh, resource when they built the mine um, at the end of 2019. And Endeavour top 10 gold miner globally have publicly come out and said they are targeting an additional one and a half to two million ounces by 2025 on that asset. So it will have a if they do that, it will have a bigger resource in 2025 when we should be just about fully repaid on the royalty than it did when we bought it. Now, do we get valued on that today? No, we get valued based on the reserves or we get, maybe we get some, some upside, some optionality on it. But I think that the, the key thing is as time goes by, as you are able to demonstrate some of those features of optionality that David referenced earlier, I think it gets easier and easier to make the case to investors because when you buy a royalty on day one and it has a 10-year mine life, everyone models it out for 10 years and goes, okay, great, that's it. Um, but the reality is, would would we 
sell that royalty from year 11 onwards for a million dollars? No way. Would we sell that royalty uncapped from year 11 for $10 million? No, no, we wouldn't either. And, and actually, if you think about it like that, if you went to a lot of these royalty holders and said, we'll buy your royalty for a million dollars from you from the day it's due to stop mining, I think most royalty owners would say, no, get lost. <laughs> I, I'm here for the optionality. I'm here for that upside. And I have no holding cost. So I can sit there, almost no holding cost. I can sit there and I can aggregate these into the portfolio and I can get multiple optionality across multiple projects on multiple different levels. And that is what investors really like to see. And when you look at the big royalty companies who've been around the longest, they can demonstrate it because they've had some of those royalties for a decade, for two decades, and they can really prove it. I think when you're a younger royalty company, it's actually harder to do because you don't have that three, four, five, six years of holding the asset to be able to demonstrate the resource growth, to be able to demonstrate the embedded optionality. And, and that's why I find we often talk to some of the examples in the bigger royalty companies, not because we don't necessarily have that ourselves, but because those royalties have been around longer. And so they have more history to them. And it's a more demonstrable track record of the optionality. But that same optionality should apply to all the royalties that we sitting in this room today, all these different rooms today on Zoom, can, can have in our portfolios as well. It, it, it should. And I think, but I think here's the thing that's kind of um, missing in this is obviously lack of understanding of how to value royalty companies more, more, more broadly um, because there's too many moving parts. I haven't got enough time or n- maybe not necessarily the skills to do that, says, says the average retail investor. But they're also looking at the, the, the real life, the reality of the world at the moment, which is increased costs, inflation, et cetera, which you guys have been talking about for the last year, I suspect, um, some supply chain issues and so forth. And it, it, they're, they're concerned about, you know, how, how, does, how does mining kind of survive this? So uh, I've even had CEOs come on here and say, I am leaving, I'm going to say Nevada, because my all-in, all-in cost, including the toilet roll uh, cost, uh, for per meter is now at 800 bucks. I can't make this work. I can't do what I need to do because I can't raise the money I need to raise without absolutely crushing my company. I'm going to have to go somewhere else. So those real-world costs on explorers, the lifeblood of future projects, which I know you guys get near, you know, nearer production type uh, royalties, or that prefer, you prefer to do that. But if that's what's happening at the grassroots, and you've got investors looking at scenarios like that, going, well. The explorers can't actually um, afford to do what they're meant to be doing. It, maybe I need to be looking at another sector because it, it, there's massive disconnects everywhere. How, how do you feel about that, Dave? You know, you can't you can't change the demand curve, um, and those metals have to come from somewhere. So you know, it, the uh, um, the cure for low prices is low prices, uh, and the cure for high prices is high prices, and the capital markets will react. And but we all know that they can be short term quite inefficient. And it comes back to the saying, you know, use, utilize the cycles to your advantage rather than be used by the cycles. Uh, and uh, not to sound repetitive, but, you know, it, it comes back to that key point. Uh, um, and, uh, it, you know, the mining business is a tough business. Being a producer and being an explore co is an absolutely, you know, grind. And uh, we've all seen that throughout our career. Uh, it's enjoyable to be on the royalty side. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, to, to, to Dave's point, uh, I mean, I'm still the only full-time management employee in our company right now. Uh, and uh, we've probably had a thousand people working on our assets this year. Uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars going into it, you know, all at no cost to us. So it's, it's, it's much easier. You know, we can be a little bit more relaxed uh, about it. Um, it's not easy though. Mining is a, is a different industry, you know, and the, the short side, it's, uh, you know, uh, looking ahead is, is going to kill us because it's an average 15 year development timeline. Um, uh, from, you know, you tell me you need 10, I go poke a hole. Wow, we're so lucky. I found some, you know, I might be able to get to you some 15 years from now, because that's how long it takes, uh, you know, and especially like you mentioned with the social, the environmental, there's a lot of copper deposits in BC, you know, pretty big that could probably uh, make a good dent in some of our future demand. But uh, permitting has just been stuck for, you know, in some cases, 10, 15 years. Uh, uh, you saw that big lithium project in Serbia with Rio Tinto. Um, you know, there's a lot of that uh, out there. So it's um, it's tough. You can't have that short-sighted thinking. I think for us who have been in the industry, you understand how it works. Um, you know, we feel like we're kind of yelling as crazy people here, you know, trying to tell people just exactly, you know, what the situation is. But there's so few people out there. Um, our industry has been gutted over the last 10 years. So there's so few people out there, I think, really understand the supply-demand uh, dynamics and really, you know, the realities of, of uh the supply side for each of these different metals that we're targeting. Okay, well, well, that's very comforting, and there, therein lies the opportunity. I think you'd say to everyone, everyone listening in or watch or watching this. But um, let me give you both. I'm just conscious of your time now. When I give each of you an opportunity to sell your own projects, um, you know, give you a minute, minute and a half. Fred, do you want to go with go for go first? Absolutely. Um, well, look, I think that the key story with Elemental has been, since we listed, it has been build a foundation of producing royalty companies. And, and that lays the basis for you to go out and build your pipeline. And, and that is what we did. I think that's why we attracted um, an opportunistic hostile takeover bid, um, because we had built a portfolio of genuinely attractive cash flowing royalties, high quality ones. Um, and the merger that we just announced um, at PDAC this year without our strategies. Um, it is putting two very similar companies together. Um, we have a portfolio that's 75% gold weighted with about 20% exposure to copper. Um, we have a port- we have a portfolio of royalties that is over 80% weighted towards producing assets. Um, we have revenue that is getting up to nearly $20 million this year. Um, we have a, we had, I should say, $150 million market cap. Um, it's, it's significantly as a pro forma combined entity, it's significantly less than that today. Um, so you're coming into a company that has grown its revenue, um, I think on an overall over 80% compound basis, just as elemental prior to this deal. Um, we're going up to forecast just under $25 million of revenue next year. And, um, you're, you're currently at the share price today. It's probably an equivalent of, um, eight or nine times revenue. So it is the lowest value we have ever traded at either, um, as elemental as a public company. Um, but, but I think, you know, when you look at the multiple as well, um, for the combined group, it's, it's the lowest market cap we have as well. And when you think that on the flip side, we have more assets than we ever had, we're more diversified than we ever have. We have more revenue and we'll have a bigger margin than we've ever had. Um, we have a much bigger development portfolio from Altus and we haven't even talked about the royalty generation side, um, that they have in, embedded in their team. So I think for all of those reasons, um, you know, we are the best value today that Elemental has ever been since we listed the company. And I think that if we were sitting here um, saying that um, you know, six months ago, um, I would have said it's a great buying opportunity. But sitting there saying that today, 
having had someone come in and pay um, or at least offer significantly higher than where we're trading today. Um, I think a sort of uh, 50% higher share price, uh, at least, you know, nominal bid for us to take the company over um, and having just merged um, or announced a merger, I should say, without us, where we're materially increasing the portfolio size of the company, the assets, the shareholder base. I think all of those things combine um, to make Elemental the most attractive that we have certainly been since we since we listed the company today. Thank you. Dave? We touch 5 million acres of mineral rights worldwide, Matt. And we've been building this portfolio for two decades, largely through royalty generation and also key royalty acquisition. There's some catalysts within that portfolio that are coming to fruition within days. And uh, we expect the Gedek Tepe uh, gold royalty, gold and silver royalty in Turkey to start cash flowing any day now. Uh, they just crossed the threshold of 10,000 ounces before they uh, start to write us checks. We're looking forward to that. The Leeville royalty operated by Barrick on the Carlin trend, uh, the site of robust discovery on behalf of Newmont and Barrick, part of that joint venture uh, is uh, cash flowing nicely for us. And then a great example of optionality within the copper space, and we're all copper bulls, uh, is the Casarones mine in Chile. That's cash flowing to us right now after tax. Um, just under 8 million USD per annum. And they just announced that they increased the um, uh, reserve there from a 17-year mine life after having mined for a year. So it should have gone to 16 to 28-year mine life. That's a great example. We love to be exposed to those long-lived assets. That's like having a, a, a 30-year bond that pays in count pounds of copper. Uh, so we're delighted to be exposed to that royalty. Um, Altus is also exposed and was a, a participant in a syndication purchase of, of that royalty with us, I'll point out as well, uh, to, to Frederick's account. The, uh, and I could go on and on about the portfolio and the catalysts within that portfolio, but it comes back to these concepts that we have been uh, discussing about the embedded optionality within these portfolios and the exposure to mineral rights globally. Okay, Brendan, why don't you take us out? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, we have a portfolio of 20 royalties. We're diversified across all of the clean energy metals, which have exponential growth forecasts moving forward really over the next two decades. Uh, we have a producing royalty. Uh, we've got a number of royalties that we've been buying into over the last couple of years that are heading towards production over the next, you know, kind of 18 months. Um, $150 million we just raised to put our lithium royalty Oche uh, into production in 2023. We have a past producing graphite mine, uh, Grafmata, that they've stated they want to bring that back online to production uh, over the next nine months. And, uh, our Bissett Creek asset, the operator, is now the third largest graphite producer uh, outside of China, and they've said they want to make that their flagship. So, you know, we've got a number of uh, royalties we picked up over the last couple of years. They're going to be entering production uh, to get us, uh, you know, diversify our cash flow. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of cash, uh, you know, pro forma, about $8 million. Um, and uh, we're trading, you know, as if our, our royalty portfolio is uh, worth next to nothing at this point. Our enterprise value is, you know, around $5 million as of taping this. So, um, you know, all the upsides from here, uh, as far as we're concerned. And, you know, we've had uh, about $400 million go into our portfolio over the last 18 months. And that's all being done, you know, at no cost to us. So time is going to solve uh, solve all of our problems as we move forward here. Um, gentlemen, look, thank you very much. I feel invigorated now. Um, I better get, get out there and uh, get my contrarian um, buying boots on. Um, okay, so thank you very much um, today to Brendan Urich. Um, Dave Cole and to Fred Bell um, for enlightening us as to why royalties are indeed uh, a good uh, addition to your portfolio if you haven't already done so. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Matt. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank Thanks, you. Fred, Dave.